You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello! Today I'm joined by musician, radio producer, and podcast host, Giles Bitter. Giles hosts the fantastic podcast, 101 Part-Time Jobs, where he dives in with established and independent musicians to talk about how they have sustained themselves and their music. I did an episode with Giles and talked about many of my old jobs, some of the weird ones, some of the wild ones. I was a garbage man, I've been a dishwasher, I was a roof salesman during the housing crisis, I've had a lot of different jobs. Giles is one of the best hangs that there is. We've spent many a times together over in the UK as well as the United States. We played with his old band, Great Cynics, on many occasions. He's a deeply loving and insightful character, one of my favorite people to see in the world. Uh, I mentioned it during the show, but in the spring of 2019, we went on a once-in-a-lifetime odyssey through London, hitting about 15 pubs on the last day of a binge before taking a long break from drinking in a pack that I did with Roger Harvey. And now, uh, currently taking another long break, so I feel it's really fitting that we have this chat. Now, I do have to have Giles back, because I have a bunch of questions in front of me that we didn't get to. He said he would come back, so I'm really stoked. I got a couple secret sneaky ones from some friends over in England that I can't wait to, to sandbag him with. And I feel like as a, as a, as a podcast host and a, a person with journalism training and, and being in the world for so many years, I think he'd, he'd appreciate it. But yeah, here we go. Giles Bitter. And we're rolling. Giles, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Cheers. Like, Hell you're yeah, in one man. of my favorite bands in the world. This is cool. Uh, thank you so goddamn much. Um, I wanted to talk to you today about your journey itself. I want to flip the 101 back on you a little bit. And, uh, journey I to I the end. Ask you, yeah, journey to the end. We'll just roll that baseline up. You know, we'll do that baseline <laughs> equivalent of a podcast today. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, man. So what, you know, what was it like for you in high school and middle school? Didn't have many friends in school, but had friends outside school that went to local gigs. I, I you know, like everyone um, this year and last year, reminisced a lot, thought, you know, and, I, and, I, and I, one of the things I've thought a lot about, I was like, why am I so obsessed with music? You know, especially doing 101 part-time jobs. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I don't, I don't know why I'm so stoked on it, but I am. And I have been, you know, ever since I grew up in a really rural village i got a cool ghost story for you later actually I really rural wait. village where um on a friday night you know a, a local band you know it was around the blink 182 era green day era you know the probably 99 2000 2001 and there was a local band playing and you know pop punk bands and i don't know why but i was just i just was enamored by the fact there was a local band like i don't care what you sounded like if you were rap metal or <clears throat> indie rock it wouldn't matter to me at that time a local band was a local band and i found that the most exciting thing in the world and i i went to Hell boarding yeah. school for a few years before that um, so i'm one of three and i'm the youngest and my brother or sister didn't go to boarding school but i got sent to boarding school because my dad was um like fairly violent towards me and so i went to boarding school and then so i had that whole kind of thing going on where I was like, it was, it was like an orphanage, you know, it was a, I think I've t you know, told a lot of friends growing up as a teenager, you know, I went to boarding school and I think got, I, after a few years, I realized that that gave off the impression that it's some kind of, you know, teaser, you know, kind like of posh, like a you're silver rich, spoon thing. Okay. Yeah. It was not that, it was not that at all. It was more of an orphanage. Now was going to boarding school a common do you know a lot of people who did go to boarding school? Because just coming from our American perspective of boarding school was something that was either extremely wealthy people did on TV or you gotten threatened for it for misbehaving. Uh, it wasn't kind of like ingrained into our society, really. Yeah, I don't know. I've never I've met a few people. But I'm not okay. close with anyone who went to boarding school. Sure, sure. Um, so I really don't know. My parents 
grew up in Harrow, which is a sort of suburb of north in northwest London. Okay. And you know, they grew up in the or you know, got their first jobs, I suppose, in the seventies and eighties and then were you know, experienced that eighties, nineties boom, I mm-hmm. guess. I'm not very good on economics, but I'm pretty sure there was a boom there because that was where everyone's parents bought houses. Yeah, I think we're being punished for that now. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me, paying, throwing money down a hole for, to our landlords forever. Never going to get a pension, are we? Yeah. Um, but so, so they moved out to the countryside. And I think they probably bought into that idea that, you know, my dad being fairly aggressive towards me, probably because of, you know, being an excitable kid. Like I said, you know, I, I, I was pretty bad at just sitting down. You know, I was always kind of jumping up or running around or something. And I think he couldn't handle that. And so my mum thought it was best if I go to boarding school. And I and I, I do wonder if there was a part of, you know, the idea around that was that, you know, let's get him off to boarding school because it's a good place where you can learn and do sports. And I think there was an element of a good spirit about it. But the real True. foundation of sending me there wasn't, you know, very nice. Um, yeah. So... I wonder if I had that thing where, you know, I felt like a castaway early on. So anything to do where you, anything that you could share an experience with someone or where you could do something as a gang, I was really attracted to. Yeah. Um, I really loved playing sports. I loved cricket. I loved football. And that was definitely to do with the fact that you're playing as a team. And I, so I, I think, I, I think I must've seen that in bands. I think I must've been like, this is amazing. This is cool. You know, everyone here so has loads sense. of friends. You yeah. Know, it I makes think- a lot of sense to me. I think that uh, sometimes the um, almost gangish aspect of bands at that developmental age is somewhat overlooked or forgotten in our world. When we talk about it, it really is like a pick and choose which kind of person you want to be or which table you want to sit at at lunch for us mm. in, in middle school was Oh, I can be with the musicians and the band people. That's how I want to define myself. It's who I want to be. Uh, you know, we there's one, the, the punk rock ruined my life stickers that I, Mark yeah. uh, from The Code made is kind of, I think, embodies a lot of that. It's like, well, I chose this um, ideologically tied social group to be a part of at that point to define myself because I would be accepted. And you just had to follow those rules, dress it. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like anything else. And um, totally. Something I used to think that was so corrupt, but then I realized that this what humans have been doing forever, and that's like kind of what you need to do as part of your development. And, and uh, I think it's you know more of a, a great thing to end up that way. But also it, on the flip side, punk rock ruined my life. You know, <laughs> I found it intelligent and beautiful as well because yeah. there were lots of emo bands around that time, and you know you'd, you'd read books like Perks of Being a Wallflower, and you know that kind of whole thing. That was the stuff that I was wrapped up in. You know, and, you know, that period of time when I saw that band in the in the village, you know, probably three or four years after that, I found this crew of people that would go to local gigs and, you know, probably 50% male, 50% female. And that was a massive thing as well, because going to boarding schools, going to boarding school was boys only. And Oh, it was you know, just, just men, just boys there. Just boys. Wow. Yeah. Didn't really know how to talk to girls. Yeah, and so how would you learn? <laughs> and so that was a massive teacher? eye-opener as well, because it was like, oh, cool, this is all something that we're interested in. You know, let's if, if there's not a gig going on, then we'll go to the skate park and sit on the grass and listen from someone's MP3 player out of speakers. And the place where we grew up in was Watford and Amersham, those sorts of towns, those kinds of areas was, uh, was you know, I lived in Berkhamsted, so quite sort of 20 minutes away from Watford. And that's where Gallows are from. And, okay, cool. you know, some other hardcore bands like Your Demise and um, Enter Shikari. My first ever gig uh, was opening for Enter Shikari, which was an amazing experience because I loved that band at the time. And I just turned up with my bass guitar. I played bass in this post-hardcore band called Photographs and Theories and um, <laughs> turned up, you know, with an Acrobat t-shirt. That is a, a great first band name. You know, it's definitely <laughs> like what would be in the novel. Or in the, and turned up with just a bass guitar and went up for sound check. I was like, Oh, I don't have a lead or an amp, <laughs> you know, let Just alone plug a, into the PA. So go. the, I think Chris is his name. I've never actually met him from enter Shikari. He was like, here's my stuff. Use whatever you want. And now to me, was the coolest thing in the world. Hell yeah. And that was really definitive. Um, 
so it sounds like uh, the kind of DIY shows and first shows were very similar to the ones that we had. So you'd show up to a place that was not maybe necessarily a traditional venue. A lot of ours were like uh, VFWs, which is an organization, Veterans of Foreign Wars. So it's like mm. one part is a bar full of veterans from foreign wars, and then the other part would be a hall that they would use for community events, and they would let us rent them out to have shows in. So a lot of them were that and high school talent shows and shit like that. And I always kind of wondered what it would be like for, for you guys. I think a similar situation, we had a scout hut. A scout hut sounds pretty similar to that. So on Saturdays and Sundays, I suppose it would be used by scout clubs. Um, like Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, Girl Scouts. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. Other times, I don't know, where were the other gigs? Like town halls? I don't know. Yeah. I wonder, I look back and I'm like, who put on those gigs? I mean, right. one of them, so the, the big promoter that would put on the regular shows at the scout hut was a guy called Jamie Osman, and now he manages the Cribs, and he's wow. like a big... Um, you know, he's been working in the music industry for a long time now. I think he, you know, got his started working in the music industry full time when he was like seventeen or eighteen or something. So we were surrounded by all these people doing stuff, and I think it was around that time I was got more into just punk rock, I suppose. And so as soon as I recognised that there was a a punk rock faction in my town, yeah, you know, I'd just start saying hi to them in town and becoming becoming friends with them. Amazing. And that and that and they were in a band that I was just obsessed with. You know, I used to go to outs. They wouldn't even know it because I wasn't even good enough friends with them yet. But I knew kind of when they were practicing, and I'd go to go to one of their houses where they were practicing and sit on the curb outside and listen. You know, I was just <laughs> obsessed. I don't know why. It's, it's fucking weird. Um, I mean, it makes total sense. I, I love that so much. <laughs> so uh, yeah, just just big into it, and just big into the local thing, making it happen. Hell yeah. So you've uh, uh, always been attached to it and I've been impassioned by it. Um, did you end up going to university after high yeah. school? Was like, yeah, cool. but late. Uh, so not after high school. When high school finished, I um, funny story actually, there was, you're supposed to, so the UCAS form is the form that you fill out to go to university after your A-levels or college or whatever that year is when you're 17, 18. And I suppose at my school there was a quota because when I said I didn't want to do my UCAS form because I didn't know what I was going to study. And also I was in a band by this point where I was, you know, <laughs> used my obsession for emailing and using MySpace messages. So all I wanted to do was go on tour. So yeah. I just did not revise for my exams at all. I was more interested <laughs> in what I would consider now being like a tour manager or like, you know, the, the stuff that no one wants to do now sure, if, sure, you're, if you're yeah. playing in the band. Um, Absolutely. So I didn't, I wasn't going to get the grades. And I said, oh, look, I'm not going to do my UCAS form. And she took me outside into the corridor, um, yelled at me. And she was like, I'm going to do everything I can to get you kicked out of this school. Wow. And I remember thinking, thinking that's so strange. Now I can kind of put it down. Maybe there was a quota about how much, how many pupils they wanted in the school to go to university. That's so funny. And such a thing that happens, you know, one of my favorite parts of getting with age is really realizing how complex people's motivations were when they yeah. either wronged you or you had to interface with them in your past. You're like, well, maybe she didn't hate me. She was just like, maybe she, her life was a fucking pain in the ass. And this bratty kid wouldn't fill out his fucking UCAS form. <laughs> and <laughs> so she took it to the next level. She, she called me into the headmaster's office with my mom because I was, because I just kept on saying no and then i was made to <laughs> write an apology and you know I, i'm not very good at being passive aggressive i suppose but i made the most i wrote the most passive aggressive apology note de <laughs> as demanded as you I'm know as sorry, required <laughs> yeah exactly and my mum's my actually still got a photocopy of that letter on her desk at home That's where so she writes funny. which is That's kind of amazing. funny props to my mum for supporting me there yeah but, hell yeah after that, I went to Brighton because there was a journalism course. I didn't know what to do. I was writing for NME, the website. Yeah. Um, at that time, you know, Very not NME, cool. the website, but the website for NME. And, um, and I got that job because I wanted to go to Grows Rock to see the Get Up Kids. And I'd interned there just months before that. And I rang up the guy who I knew at NME liked punk. I was like, look, I'm going to go see the Get Up Kids. It's at Grows Rock. I think, you know, there's killer lineup as always at Grows Rock in that year. It's 2009 can I review it? And so I started writing for the website then. And so I was right, like, so actually, oh. if you don't, I wanted to zone in on that real quick. You yeah. uh, have always peripherally at least been attached to, um, the coverage of music for lack of a better word for it. You are, uh, have always written, you are now an audio journalist. Uh, 
you have been a musician and are a musician, fantastic musician at that. Um, we played many shows together, but this early on, when you were 17, you got this job at NME. Did you, were you writing before that? Like, did you just kind of like right place at right time it? Like, how did you end up carving out that part of the world for yourself? I didn't even consider the facts that I was being a writer, if that makes sense. I just wanted to- No, totally. Before you mentioned that you were interested in being like a tour manager or any of these peripheral uh, kind of roles or something I didn't want. So I was wondering if you just stumbled into the writing and it just happened to work or if there was something uh, that was there for you. I think with that that Grows Rock thing, I was like pulling the festival scam again. (laughs) How could I get into this (laughs) festival? Um, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, we had talked about scams before we started recording this. And uh, yeah, I think that that's great that you used it as a... Fe- it was your ticket to the festival. Totally. Amazing. I remember digging out... My older brother, you know, was my idol growing up. Um, he had this massive, you know, huge Reading Festival 2002 poster. And I got into half the band's that I love now from reading that poster and being like, oh, I'm going to listen to them. And I'm one of his friends at school wrote this punk zine and you know this thing like fucking you know four centimeters thick it must have had like 60 pages in and the font size is like eight or something (laughs) and it's all these amazing stories and it's written in a way that i didn't really understand you know i didn't really understand the jokes i didn't understand the kind of esoteric nature of these bands or what they were but i was i don't know why but that definitely cracked open some curiosity in me and so when my brother went to I must have been eight years, eight or nine years old, and my brother went to Reading Festival, and I was so jealous that, um, you know, maybe my mum gave me the idea actually, but she, I think she might have been like, well, why don't you just write about it as if you were there? So I wrote like a fake Reading Festival review zine, aged wow. nine or ten. But other than that, that's no- a, wait. So at the age of nine or ten, you wrote a fake zine about going to Reading. <laughs> Four sides, baby. Yeah. That's so fucking cool. I love. Do you still have it? Oh no. No, I wish I did. Um, I'm pretty sure I covered Limp Biscuit. <laughs> I was big into Limp Biscuit. I wrote fan mail to every single member because that was the time where in a CD booklet they would have an, you know, a mailing address. Well, I suppose you still do now, don't you? Sure, but, sometimes, um, yeah. I wrote, I wrote individual letters for each seven or eight members of Limp Biscuit at the time saying wow. what I liked about chocolate starfish That's and amazing. hot dog flavored water. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's just pretty obsessed with it i don't know why don't know why yeah. um but the writing thing didn't really consider me you know i don't not sure if i consider myself a journalist now to be i don't think i'm a good writer but i think I don't you're think a good I've, writer i remember actually mm-hmm. the moment they told me you were a journalist it was we had been it's very blurry as you can imagine this is in like 2010 or 2011 or 2012 uh we had just played a festival you were riding with us we were on that our was way reading back festival. to was it reading festival that's what it was, it was. Yeah. we were on our way back to um stay at someone's house so we were mm-hmm. in someone's apartment and everyone who lived there wasn't there but they had let us in to stay there uh that's all i really remember i remember Classic. sleeping in like a very and in a girl's room that was, I'd say a girl's room, it was very pink and there was like feathery shit everywhere. And I was like, this is interesting. I'll never meet this person. I was going to crash here tonight. But I remember that night while we were out drinking, you'd mentioned in passing that you were working as a writer. And I was like, oh shit, Giles is a journalist. That's fucking cool. And then I remember planting that in my mind and, and, and kind of framing it that way from then on. I do enjoy writing. I do get satisfaction from it. My mom's a writer. She writes crime fiction. And oh shit, that's cool. She's, she's amazing. <laughs> Um, and, and she, she made us learn how to spell at a young age and she made us, you know, learn how to use commas in the right place and when to use a comma and when to use a full stop, which is something she still calls me up on. But <laughs> while you're texting her, it's just, yeah, t- totally. <laughs> I know in every job application, I send it to her and she, you know, it's cool. It's cool like that. Um, Amazing. but yeah, I, so I did that journalism qualification. It wasn't a degree. It was a qualification in Brighton, but for me, it was a means to an end. It was a means to do something because uh, yeah. I didn't have the grades to get to uni. I got all Ds. I uh, I actually, <laughs> I got a DDE in my, my final year, but <laughs> the year before that, I got a U in something. So if you arrange those letters, you know what I mean? So you can, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to ever let myself forget that. Um, That's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> but I just wasn't that good at, you know, I just wasn't that interested. I wasn't that, um, you know, developed in in thinking that that stuff was actually important um sure. but after that i just did i interned 
so yeah, I was, I fe- I've always felt like this. I've always felt like, oh, I'll go towards journalism because that's the only thing that I really can see myself doing, even though I can't actually see myself doing. Um, <laughs> but, and the other thing is, is that similar to playing music, it's something a lot of people want to do and everyone's doing it for free. Yeah. And that's one of the things I laugh about now and especially going into podcasting. Yeah. It's like, okay, these are the three things in my life that I'm kind of, I guess orbit me or I orbit it or whatever, but none of them make money. I don't exactly. know. You know, I've never been good with money. I'm good with having it. I'm bad with spending it. Um, so that's, that's kind of been on my mind and, and, you know, going to uni as well. So after, after the Brighton thing, I started playing alone as cynics. And then after two years recorded an album and then my favorite label in the world ever, Household Name Records, were up for putting it out. So they put it out. And then so I thought, well, what do I do now? Naturally, what's the step now? You know, before I was like, okay, well, I'll spend half my time doing music, half my time interning at all these magazines, which I love doing. Like Huck Magazine is a great magazine where I interned. But I was never making any money. You know, I was just sort of figuring it out, living it. Sure. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's doing hard, what they, hard to monetize that in and of itself. You know, it's like, uh, especially in a time now where people are not into, it seems like there's a pendulum swinging back, but people are not into paying for anything, uh, which, yeah. you know, yeah. makes sense. You could look at anything you want for free. There's a million blogs. Uh, people get information, Twitter, you know, like, like whatever. It's not a demand for someone to be paid a high amount of money for it. So you figure out how to monetize it. But I do think it's important to, to realize that while you're playing music, the job you're doing is being around people who work in music and mm. uh, musicians and talking to them and kind of not necessarily creating a network where you're going to trade favors, but just finding those people being in the mindset and increasing your chances of having luck. You know, like they say, you can't make your own luck, but you can kind of like, you can push yourself towards the door. Um, totally. That's, that's really cool. You just dove in. I think that's, that's a really interesting aspect of it because you, you know, sometimes when you're at a party and then you're speaking to someone who's in, you know, doing a creative endeavor and they're obviously looking over your shoulder at the person behind you who's way, who has way more credential than, <laughs> well, than I do, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. I feel that so much and I'm like, oh, I hope I never do that. Um, I've def- I, think, I think I've probably been criticized in the past for trying to look in the direction of, you know, uh, being friends with people where... You're trying to grow together, I suppose. Sure. Um, and I think that's a really interesting thing in punk rock, especially because naturally we never want to look like we're trying too hard. Yeah, which to me has just been such a funny paradigm in so many parts. Like there's so many parts of myself who didn't want to do something because I thought it was as like, you know, like self-promotion wise, you didn't want to seem too egotistical or narcissistic or something. But then you realize that, well, what is what do I want? Like, mm. what is my goal? It is to do it. So <laughs> saying, mm-hmm. at, trying mm-hmm. to do something, but at the same time feeling bad about doing it or not wanting to do it just seems like an absurdity. And totally. there's, there's, you know, there's, there's boundaries, you know, and you don't have to go oh, and yeah. put out a fucking song for Clorox. But like, he, you know, there's a lot of times, feels like in, at least coming up at punk rock um, and I'm in a place of extreme uh, 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 luck and privilege to be able to, you know, say it like this now, but there's a lot of people like crabs in a bucket where when one crab tries to climb out of the bucket, the rest of the crabs pull them in. Uh, so there's a whole lot of like kind of shit that isn't necessarily just a hater shit, but it's like, I don't know, so many weird things where people will hate on something to then look around to see if everyone else hates it to reaffirm the fact that they didn't like it and be like, okay, that's okay. Yeah, and you are so informed by people around you. If you know yeah. one person who's like, oh no, that's lame, that kind of plants this seed of doubt in everyone's mind. I mean, something I've learned in the last few years since not touring so much is that there is such a range of how you can be it's not like oh that person's a sucker because he chatted up that person because he wanted to play the gig they were putting on it's like there's such a large range and ultimately like i think i'm wasting my time by even thinking about that stuff because all you can really do is be yourself and be nice you know you're going to get back what you put out eventually and um all you can really do is do the thing that you're doing to your best ability and like, try and be cool. Try and be fun to, you know, try and be nice to everyone around you. Try and make people feel as good as possible. And even if that person's not making you, you feel that good, then, you know, fuck them. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, and I, I think it's tough. 
for a lot of people if they're not surrounded by people that can reinforce that idea do you know what i mean yeah um absolutely i think you've got to be around people that make you realize that <laughs> it doesn't really matter man chill out it's yeah, funny what totally. you said about how people have their goals my goal was to play reading festival and that happened when we released our second album in 2013 <clears throat> and when that happened i didn't know what else to do other than keep on releasing albums yeah and i think that was probably you know there wasn't a sound we wanted to do uh, the, the the dynamic of the the three of us wasn't right it probably wasn't what a real band should be you know i think wayne kramer from mc5 said when you start a band everyone should know their roles everyone should know what they're doing um yeah i was pretty bad at doing that we we were kind of a party band and that was great that was awesome sure. yeah um I probably should have like been more mature in my own sense and be like, actually, this isn't, you know, this is great right now, but know when to call it. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, you can't regret anything. You know, that was way before we went to Australia, for example. Of course. Yeah. That has you or, here where you are now, you know, that got you here for real. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the time I didn't realize, you know, I was kind of a bit like that kind of like sad, lame Jack, Jack you know, Kerouac kind of like, person where he's just drinking for no reason do you know what yeah. i mean like nothing oh, yeah. had a reason no all um, about that <laughs> i had a boss know, that didn't drink and there we uh, i was a dishwasher when i first moved to philadelphia at this polish restaurant um that had a series for about a decade just people who had transplanted to philadelphia from scranton which is about two and a half three hours north of philadelphia but it was another you know it's the big metropolitan area that you can move to that was cheaper mm. than new york uh, and just had deep ties to it, yada, yada, yada. But this job, you uh, there was like a series of dishwashers and servers and cooks that were 10 years long, basically, generations of people from Scranton because somebody would be like, all right, well, I moved here. I got on my feet. I have the job that I want. So, you know, you want to move here. You could be a dishwasher. Come, come work. Uh, and that boss of that place was always like, you guys will drink because the sun came up. It was like the whole thing. He's, every time we'd be like, well, yeah, we're going to have it. We're going to get wasted tonight because, you know, Nicole got a promotion. And he's like, you guys will fucking drink because the sun came up. Like, you will always yeah, find, a reason. Right. Always you always find, find a reason. You always find a reason. <laughs> yeah. Every, anything to celebrate. Right. And I wonder, you know, I, you, sorry, you, uh, you mentioned that you, your goal, very tangible goal was to play Reading Festival and that <laughs> you'd played it and you ended up in, what was that like? What does that feel like? Because I know that there's, uh, sometimes a deep sadness comes after a, an accomplishment. So you can feel really, really good about reaching a goal, especially in, in music, but sometimes you, you'll hit something and it's not necessarily that it is not what you expected it to be, but it may be because you don't, your purpose has shifted or your, uh, you know, your measures have changed. I was so concerned that all my family got on the guest list. I was, I was so concerned <laughs> yeah. that, you know, they were there and, uh, where they wanted to be and they could find their way around the festival my <laughs> mum and my sister wore my my mum wore a t-shirt like a sharpie on white t-shirt saying my son's a great cynic nice like, that's so funny like that's so silly so lame but it's great you know <laughs> fuck it it's awesome oh, yeah, yeah i was I pretty con that. that's all i was really concerned about uh my family i suppose i was like this is weird it was it was so like playing a show in your hometown you know where everyone is there from all different kind of sections of your life that it actually makes you feel rather uneasy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. It's like that dream. Yeah. You're naked. <laughs> Being there, man, that was real life. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was great. But we played Leeds the next day. So we hopped straight in the van. I mean, there, there was that, there was that element of what's next because I'm pretty goal orientated. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, I think, you know, it's, probably something that I, you get instilled from you by doing something like skateboarding. If you can see yourself doing it, you're far more likely to do it. It's a really good point. That's an amazing point about skateboarding. And that's something that uh, ties in several big ideas. One being, you know, the physical nature of it. And then also practice. Like you have mm. to, you know, mm. one is good at something just without doing it. You know, there's some people Hell that no. are just like that. Uh, that just have incredible luck all the time or that can do things like or just can throw a dart and hit the bullseye, you know, while you're drinking at the bar. They just are good at it without practicing. I did are see you our one of the guys that's Dave. good at bars game? Oh, you got a friend? <laughs> our, our friend Dave Walinski, who is in that band Calvin Ball. Sure, I know Dave, yeah. I, I saw him look at me. So he's looking at me like, you know, we're looking at each other. Uh -huh. So he threw a dart horizontally at the board, probably, you know, regulation standard length as well. 
looking at me and got bullseye. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, there's shocked. those people who float through life like that, and I uh, that's that's I love that. Well, I think but, that's uh, how my friends see me. I think my I think people I know probably think that I float through through life. Um, but there's so many hidden uh, purpose and, and reasons and practices that you've that you've engulfed on. You know, like you worked. Yeah, you probably. wrote a zine when you were ten. Like that's uh that sets <laughs> it up, man. You're early when your mind was first forming its uh, complex thoughts and understanding of the universe. You dove right into I'm going to fucking festivals and I'm going to be in a band and I'm going to work with bands. I mean, the household name thing. Looking back on it, you know, the household name thing and the reading thing was like, oh my god, what do I do? You know, what's now? Um, the thing is, the trouble. With something like that is that when you're so about the the team, which I was, and is like you don't know really what to do. You know, you know, creative by committee can be hard sometimes. As yes, oh my god, us, yes. As someone like, in a fully democratic band, I can tell you that creating by committee can all very much. Uh, you can accomplish more in the long run for sure, but in the short term, it can be very difficult. And that takes a lot of maturity that i didn't have then might not have now (laughs) fair enough but one thing that i'm stoked about is that after the band fizzled out and um that i that starting this podcast is i can actually starting 101 part-time jobs podcast is that uh that is my that is my continuation of great cynics hell yeah well, I think that's a beautiful thing. I, I really think that's awesome. I know um, Great Cynics is your your vehicle for uh, being in a band, creating music. It started out as Cynics, and you, you grew mm-hmm. it out. And now you're taking the expression and art and interaction and moving it into this podcast, uh, which I think is is great. I love listening to it. It's awesome. Uh, what, yeah. uh, what do you like about it? Like, how do you – is it that you get to see all these different – um experiences that people have and share them is it like another like what's the the creative shift about it yeah i think that hearing stories i was i always think about this in you know i i I used to sleep on my brother's floor because i wanted him to tell me stories of the party he went to the weekend before i just wanted to know about it and you know those kinds of stories where you know, uh, we were watching Donnie Darko the other day and, you know, when they're waiting at the bus stop and they're just telling each other these shitty stories. Oh, yeah. You know, and they're kind of, th- that's that kind of older brother mentality of telling stories is something yeah. that I always just, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty drawn towards. And so, yeah, I wanted to do that. And I realized playing in Cynics, like, I'm not a musician, you know, and I, I know that you're probably about to say like, oh, no, but, you know, I'm not very good at playing guitar. Like, that band had wheels, I think, because of like, our enthusiasm towards it probably and so in that sense i you know i could trans i could convert that into something you know into a podcast i suppose just that kind of attitude more than anything yeah and that that and that's no one thing you know it's not one thing it's not it's not like a particular personality and i, I don't think that i'm any kind of i don't think that i i, I feel like i get worried sometimes that sometimes it sounds too serious actually <laughs> I, I want it to be more you know i like i love having a laugh and i, I love see you know in tragedy which i think happens in bands a lot there is so much humor in it sure. and there's so much funny you know man like i can think of 10 times where we've been in a van broken down and looking at each other being like we've got no money we can't do anything you know like what are our prospects in life right now this is funny oh yeah it's <laughs> hilarious especially if there was like it was a, a ironic Murphy's Law situation where maybe you're on the way to an incredibly important show and you're just like, well, of course it breaks down. I also think of there's course, a, yeah. a, an enormous amount of humor in that surrender. Like if you're broke down, I can think of one specifically for us. We were broke down on the side of the road in uh, Wyoming. And in Wyoming, in, in the, the States, in the middle of nowhere, they have these giant pieces of wood that are maybe 10 feet high that are... Uh, you see in the summer, you're like, what the fuck is this? And you realize that it's to stop snow drifts. So there's uh, giant sections of the highway where you can have a freak snowstorm. There'll be eight feet of snow and they just close the highway. And you're like, all right, well, we'll figure out another way to get there. And then you realize that there's no other way to get there because you're th- a thousand miles away from where you need to go and there's no other highway. So you just have to pull over. And I'm, one of the funniest times is we tried to do that. We pulled over. We're in this the most podunk place I've ever been. Some guys installing chains for us speaks a dialect of American English where we can barely understand anything that he says. And you're just, it's hilarious. You're just like, all right, well, here I am fucking in this yeah. joke. And it's always the most fun. Completely no, like no control. 
Yeah, <laughs> you're at the the whims of the of the gods. You kind of just have to go with See, that's, whatever that, they say. That's what I love, and and also it's it's funny because you know I say this from a you make a human point of view, but it's also something that um, is in the the whole journalism thing as well. Is that get a story in, make it a story, like exactly what you just said there, Tom. I want that on my podcast. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. That's exactly Absolutely. the kind of thing I'm looking for. Um, totally. And I feel like I've got gradually a little bit better of it at, at it well, over got like a lot of 80, practice. I mean, <laughs> 85 episodes. Yes, yeah, exactly. Months, quite a lot. Um, oh, yeah. uh, but it's all about stories, you know, and whether totally. it's sad or funny or cool or not cool. <laughs> yeah. um, Even the songs that we write, the ones that people uh, that resonate most deeply with people are the ones that have a storied factor to them or are a story or there's a change in the story. Um, yeah. You know, that's how we've been informing each other since the beginning of grunting at the story of the fucking, I don't know, Mastodon that we saw and we want to go kill it or whatever. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, I've actually written a book now called The Science of Storytelling by this guy, uh, um, Will Store. Um, and it, there's some really cool parts about storytelling in it. One of them is that did, 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 uh, that people, once every 10 seconds, someone uses a metaphor in regular speech. So you realize that you're kind of just all using poetry and language not as like this rigid vehicle that has rules on it but it's like you know a constantly morphing way of expressing ourselves and we're constantly telling stories to relate back and forth and one of the other things i found was fucking crazy was that you said you've been getting into filming recently we've learned joe and i have been studying uh, a bit of videography stuff like that and getting into frame rates and you realize that uh 30 frames per second is kind of like what your eye perceives like uh, the way that you perceive motion and that 24 frames per second is more cinematic and nostalgic to us, possibly because that's what it looked like for tens of thousands of years when you told a story around a fire. So the light was changing like that, and that's how we received it. So it might be like deeply wow. ingrained in us. And I feel like uh, songs and podcasts and movies and that kind of can make the way that we inform the world around us through storytelling hit harder with shit like that. I think it's pretty fucking cool. That is interesting. It's very Joe Strummer. Yeah, you know, it is really campfire. Joe Strummer. Fucking hell, yeah, you're right. I often think... You know, in a day, I can be bummed out. I can be really bummed out for whatever reason. And then if someone tells me an interesting story that changes my day, I don't know what it is, isn't it? It's, it is pretty interesting. But it must like, it must like hit some church bell in your brain, you know, yeah. like being like, dong, it's a great life's actually kind of cool sometimes. Yeah, hell yeah. And, you know, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but you've got to surround yourself with people like that. You've got to surround yourself with people who see the benefit of a good story. Oh, yeah. Not the emotional vampires. Or maybe they're only temporarily emotional vampire. I know I've mm. been a, a fucking drag at points in my life. Like one of my favorite things, well, I think it's like one of the funniest things is if, if you're like filming an animal and then you're doing their voiceover and you send it to someone. <laughs> I think that's funny shit. Because that's a story. Uh, you're telling that animal story. Exactly. If you, I would love it if you would send me one. I'll send you one. I'll send I you will. I've got to... I, I used to be quite bad at drunk texting, so maybe I'll get <laughs> start, start getting back into it. Yeah, if you set rules to it, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, so, speaking of stories and hearing people's things and our minds changing, what I always loved the polite nature of uh, my experience personally as a, as an outsider, just visiting very temporarily to the UK. Sure, it's different regionally; it's going to be very similar in London as it is to New York or Paris and things like that. Mm. But uh, the stop and chat. So in the South, in the United States, you, I'll never forget, the first time I was there, we were staying at a friend's house in Asheville, North Carolina. I was walking to a laundromat, and this guy was walking past me on the sidewalk. And this is a very rural, like, not rural, but like, I don't know, development, like a, like a, like a suburb. There's not any, it was just a sidewalk by houses. There's no stores and shit. He wasn't doing business, we'll say. So I walked by this guy, and I said, yeah, how you doing? And he said, and he stopped, and then chatted me up for like 10 minutes and then kept walking. I had never experienced that before. Um, and I noticed that in the UK, people are really polite. They'll mind your own business if you want to, or you can really kind of have a chat with somebody. And the pandemic has fucking ruined that. It's totally. been a year of not talking to people. Totally. That's, that's you know something that comes up on 101 part-time jobs a lot is because, do I need to say that title full length every time? Maybe I'll start saying 101. There you but go. I like 101 to say 100, sounds pretty cool. But I do like to say 101 though. I like the phonetic of 101 anyway it is kind of nice like cellar door you know totally well, i like, like it, cellar yeah. door jolly hockey sticks uh, <laughs> i think it is quite regional about the stop and chat i have noticed north london people don't like the stop and chat yeah. southeast london at my window here 
People like the stop and chat. Yeah. Uh, Manchester, I think it's pretty good for the stop and chat. Sure. Yeah. But then pretty self-conscious as a, as a Southerner going up north. Yeah, because of the way you speak. Especially, you know, with my boarding school phonetics. Buckinghamshire. Ah, yeah. Um, well, the boarding school was in Buckinghamshire, but, you know, Buck- people from Buckinghamshire generally speak a bit like this. But you do get a lot of people doing the fake London thing, which occasionally I slip into by accident. But no, you know, going up north, so you know, I know I'm so, I'm so painfully aware that I'm, su- that I'm a southerner. Um, sure. but you're right in the in the last year it has it has been difficult to do the stop and chat we've got a great local pub here called the bird's nest and they have local gigs i took you there on that's our, where we uh, met them on the morning of one of my favorite days of my entire life that was where we ended ah, that's where we ended okay great yes life. you're right correct great pub good. played there for the first time 15 years ago first time i ever saw a dog on a string uh <laughs> you go there now you mean you like know, a, like a dog on a leash you know, a dog on a string held by a crusty punk. Oh, of course. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I didn't really know what, I, I didn't see crusty punk. You know, this is where, you know, where Big you John crusties. from Conflict, you know, he runs yeah. the studio next door. Um, Amazing. We, we, we can go to the pub there and go to a stop and chat because there is a clientele there that even, even in today, you know, I'm sure they don't, the pub wouldn't want me saying this, but, you know, if you go around there, people are hanging around sometimes. Sure, um, sure, yeah. But it's funny, this area. I live in Deptford and... It is small enough to know people. And that's yeah. the first place that I've lived in London that has that. Sure. And uh, I think that there's, you know, that's that stop and chat is a way that people have run their community for yeah, forever, you know? Caveman even, uh, stuff. Yeah, even the idea, we talked a little bit before we were recording about privacy and some of the changes to WhatsApp, just very briefly, mm, and mm. things like that. But the, I, I'd heard a viewpoint that privacy may be a... It's a temporary experiment to some extent, as we lived in groups of 50 to 100 people uh, in, in tribal communities for most of the human's existence. You didn't have any, there's no privacy. You know, mm. everyone mm. needed to know your business and you you're shitting in front of your neighbor. Good. Yeah, you're shitting, you're shitting in front of your neighbor, you're fucking in front of your, you're dying in front of your neighbor, you know, like it's all, it's all together. <laughs> Sounds quite um, exciting. Yeah, it does kind of sound exciting. But now you have the situations where you can be extremely private. Cool. I love that. Being private from the government, I think, is one thing. Yeah. Uh, but then yeah. knowing people in your neighborhood is is extremely important. I remember uh, I got closer to some of my neighbors when um, the uh, uh, social unrest, the rioting and protests happened in Philadelphia in the beginning of June. Um, one of our neighbors, their business was, was uh, the business next to it was being burnt down and it's an animal hospital. So the neighbors organized a group to go rescue the animals and it was like people watching each other's houses and it turned into, you know, a way to meet everybody and then commiserate and talk mm. and protect each other. When, you know, our cat, mm. something as simple as our cat running away one day, the entire block came together to help us and let us know. Great. And like called their friends. I was out searching with a, a, a flashlight like many blocks away and somebody's like, Oh, are you so and so? Are you looking for whatever? Like, yeah, my neighbor called me and said that the cat was missing and keep an eye out. And I was like, shit, this is a a section, a type of community I haven't experienced in a really long time. And uh, that I think that that stop and chat kind of shit is something that comes up with that. Yeah, I think you know are these they're Christian values, yeah. ultimately. Um, and that's something I I probably think a lot more now. I went to church when I was younger. Yeah. And how, other than midnight mass, which was a family tradition, um, I probably haven't thought much about Christianity up until the last maybe year or so. And, you know, these are values that I really, you know, subscribe to and I do see the value in it. And I think it actually, it actually makes the world, um, a, a, it makes your world a better place. You know, I really sure. see the value in being friends with my neighbor, even yeah. if I don't really like them, even if I don't really want to talk to them, I know that I can chat to them for 15 seconds and, and then bugger off. Yeah, totally. you know, uh, I think it's I think it's important to 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 be nice to one another. Yeah, I mean, you're more likely to trust them then too. You know, you know, like I think yeah. that social trust is so important. Like, uh, yeah, just a little bit of like, shit, I'm having an emergency. Can you help me in this very minuscule way? But you know, mm-hmm. I can trust you to trust you to do that, or mm-hmm. or you want to help them, that kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking of the bird's nest, I got to ask you as an American and most of the people listening to this uh, in the states, you know, as you know, you've been here many times. There's 50 states. Each state has its own metropolitan areas, all different governments that kind of react different ways. We didn't have a centralized authoritative response to the the protocols that we launched after the coronavirus pandemic started. Oh, so need to be. Yeah. It's been a clusterfuck. Yeah. 
But how yeah. in Deptford has it been managed? Like how have you have, have you, were there waves? Do people were you able to go to the pub? Do you still talk to people? Is it like what's the vibe? So some pubs were, and we, you know, we say pubs, you know, f- for the reason, for the fact that that's you know where you you might go hang out. Um, that's the measure. Know, yeah, we don't really have coffee shops open till nine p.m. like you do in the states, for example. Okay. Yeah. You know, coffee shops, coffee shops will shut at four. So if you yeah. want to be social, it's going to be in a place where they're selling alcohol. Um, and the, and the forgive places- me if I'm wrong, and sorry for interrupting, but the pub, in my experience, is also more of a community center. We think of a bar, and I feel like you guys also have bars, which is a specific type of pub. That's like a, you go there to drink alcohol, uh, yeah. get drunk, there'll be a show or whatever. And a pub can be something like that, or it can also be the place on the corner where you can go get dinner. Uh, you can have a birthday party and have the family there, like that kind of shit. The line is, is, is the lines are way more blurred here yeah. than there are in the states. I'd say. Okay, cool. Um, you know, there are some pubs that do amazing food. Um, there are some pubs that don't do amazing food, but they might sell exactly the same range of lagers or beers or wines or whatever. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I would say I, I reckon it's it's pub by pub. So the Bird's Nest, it's got such an amazing musical history. Like you know, K Tempest is from this area. Cool. It's up to it's up to the pub's discretion as to how community-based it is, just by way of their actions. So Bird's Nest is community in the sense that you can put on events there for free. You know, whether cool. that's a, a crust punk gig or a hip hop night, or it's a, 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 a refugee communication night, or if it's a food bank, that happens at the Bird's Nest because the people that run it are like, yeah, we'll do it. You know, it's as simple yeah, yeah. as that. Um, cool. There's an amazing place on, on Deptford High Street called Big John's Biltong Bar where Big John makes his own biltong. <laughs> his partner Zoe, uh, they run the bar together. It's amazing, you know? And so- I like that. Here, if, if you've got a place that's um, street facing, if you have the ability to make it a hatch front, i.e. you don't walk in, then people have made it happen here. Extremely similar to us. That's basically the same thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Big John cool. built up. Big John's Biltong bar was amazing. My partner Eva, who you know, yeah, she made us and she made me an amazing uh, scavenger hunt. Where you know she went to all these local shops and businesses and bar. You know, well, sorry, but well, I, Big John's Biltong bar is probably more of a bar, I'd say. Okay. Um, and you know, puts little clues here, there, and everywhere, and. You know, Dire Straits played their first ever gig just in the council estate behind here. So, so cool. she, she made all these little, you know, um, diagrams or maths equations. And I can't rubbish with maths. And all these <laughs> things I had to work out and she'd help me. And we'd ed- we'd, so we ended up at Big John's Biltong Bar and you can get a pint of Pims, you know, a pint of Pims. Pretty strong stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was the height of summer, t- you know, last year. So a pint um, of Pims, not a, a Pims cup. Yeah, I don't know what's a like Pims cup. In- Pims cup has like other ingredients into it so oh sorry it's pims and lemonade yeah okay that's basically what it is yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and and so you know that would be a fiver and and prices were coming down because of the facts they they kind of knew they had to try and get people out and and do all this stuff um you know and i say that thing about the scavenger hunt because i can't really imagine living many other places where you could do that where you could go to these local businesses and sure i mean everyone has the ability um but it's but it is cool to live somewhere where you're uh you can just make make of it what you want. And I haven't mentioned Soho Radio here, actually. I started volunteering there as a producer in 2017. So that's what I, I wanted to get into next, actually, was what you've got going on now. You're at Soho Radio, um, yeah. which sounds fucking cool as hell. I'm really so excited cool. for you on that one, man. So cool. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, it, it's the kind of place where you go in and you do as much as you want to do. Um, if that's a, you know, everyone's everyone's a producer, which means that they do what I do on The Hangover Cure. Um, which is the show I talked about before, where which is on Sunday know, mornings at 10 a.m. where you literally yeah, go in, crack a beer, crack a beer and cure your hangover. <laughs> yeah, on exactly. The air. Um, and that's just been a, so amazing because I thought after years of touring in a band, I thought, you know, I, I didn't think I probably felt in my belly that I didn't have much to learn, um, which sounds really stupid, doesn't it? But started working at Soho Radio and realized there's so much joy in listening to jazz and neo soul and you know electronic music stuff that i would never listen at parties that you know people i know were putting on or you know like these these whole new worlds and actually meeting people that were older than me but had the same you know had this excitement about music about 
putting on a club night in a garage or or a massive venue or everywhere in between and being excited about that you know that was that stuff's really infectious yeah and so that opened my eyes into like oh no you know you still can just do have a good idea or you know what you perceive as a good idea and you know chase it um, absolutely i mean that's what i'm sure anyone else working at the radio station has their own experiences but you know they're they're all positive experiences you know i've never really met someone there who wasn't there because they didn't you know everyone likes music there everyone's yeah. just the, everyone's everyone's there to to enjoy it yeah if you um, need one tying uh commonality between each other the fact that you love music and are working together at the radio station is a pretty damn good place to start like that's a, a good um, for real top down kind of uh what a mission statement to have you know like, at, at uh, first when i put first put on my uh i do a show called modern lovers every other tuesday morning really early in the morning eight o'clock i have to wake up at you know i'm really <laughs> bad at waking up in the morning but i haven't missed oh, it yeah. yet um <clears throat> not at the time of recording anyway and you know i had to be really careful because there's simone marie who plays bass in primal scream she has a show and pete perfides has a show and that's a lot of guitar music and um um uh, Andy Smith, who plays guitar in Paul Weller's band, he's got a show. But there's not that many guitar music punk shows. There's not many punk shows on sure. the station. So on my first show, I think I I played a, a Caves track, and the manager was like, "What's this Blink One Eight Two shit?" <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to be kind of. Ever since then, I've had to be pretty careful about you know the line of pop punk. <laughs> yeah, they up, because... they move the bar on you. They're like, ah. <laughs> yeah That's i love really that stuff funny. you know caves to me they're a garage punk band um yeah. but so you know i do that is something that I, you know, I thought about when working there because like i said their range is is, is mostly you know up and that's the thing they're so open-minded you know they're so open-minded have so many yeah. great chats with people so you think working there has made you expand your musical horizons and what you kind of not only are listening to but what you're sharing and with other people kind of like it made uh, me feel more confident to have a good idea and we'll try and have a, an idea and pursue it. Whether that's I something that. like making a little screen print for that thing that, you know, it's not, we're not talking lifetime shit. We're just talking little things that make you feel good. Um, yeah. The, the art and expression to the world for the reason of doing it, not necessarily to fit the, the um, end goal of like, Oh, this totally. fits in the paradigm of punk rock or I'm going to make 20 bucks on this, like that kind of shit. And one vital ingredient, it's not meritocratic. Do you know what I mean? There's the, yeah. the, it's, it's you're not you're like oh you are now at xp level 11 You've oh not here. meritocratic in the sense that it's you're striving for an upward movement or like yeah a, uh yeah hell yeah yeah exactly you're, you're there to um just do your thing and you know i make mistakes every day <laughs> yeah every damn day um i sometimes i get bummed out more than others you know i've like <laughs> interrupted a broadcast with something i shouldn't have done but you know it, it happens mic on. yeah exactly ordering Stuff like lunch that. or some shit yeah but i also think actually that's why it's exciting yeah you know oh, yeah it's a little more high stakes and you get you, you're finding the thing that is the same in all of the different parts you know you're finding the commonalities that are like why are you attracted to this or why are you doing this instead of like being on autopilot and being more and saying you're human yeah, exactly. And just, I uh, personally, I have a, a, a will always have an amazing nostalgic connection to Deptford, and I don't remember right. where our hotel was when Dave March and Roger Harvey and I stayed in this uh, small hotel next to the Cuddy Sark, uh, which is that boat that's on the is that so on the cool. Thames? Like the yeah, the, it's an old. So there's a, a, a Scotch like a blended Scotch whiskey in the states, Cuddy Sark, and also Murakami cool. features it prominently in uh, a lot of his novels. Um, so we were staying right by that boat, which I thought was really cool. But That's I met amazing. up with you on one of the greatest days of my life where I could have died after that day. It was Roger Harvey and I were each going to take a 90-day sobriety pact afterwards. So we are like, all right, well, we're going to go all out on this day. So I pulled up the list. We started it out at uh, – this has been a mystery for me because it's been listed on this list, and I've been meaning to ask you forever. The Old Something. Do you remember what the breakfast place we went to was? Was it the Royal Albert or was it the old, the first place we went to? So you had breakfast at the Greenhouse Cafe on Newcross Road. Okay, And then got that. you went across the road to the Royal Albert, indeed. Yeah, so the first one wasn't called the old something. I probably just wrote that being a, a cynical bastard or cheeky bastard being like, <laughs> it had to have been the old something. It's in uh, England. What was it called? The Royal Albert. 
No, the one before that that we. That oh, we... the greenhouse cafe is where you had breakfast. Okay, cool. I need to put that one down because uh, I'm making a T-shirt of the tour that we did that day. So it was Brilliant. the greenhouse cafe. Yeah. Then we went to the Royal Albert. Yeah. Then we went to the shipwreck. Yeah, right next the... to London Bridge Station. Yeah, and this is all of us traveling into into uh, like Camden or whatever, and yep. then the shipwreck. We got that. Then the world's end. Mm-hmm. And Classic. Then we went to, yep. Then we went to the Holly Arms. Mm-hmm. Classic Fun. again. Amy Amy Winehouse land. Oh yeah, yeah. That's where we met up with Kevin Jones and them. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, everyone who we ran into on the street, and anytime someone had recognized me on the street as being um, from the Menzingers, they were all on their way to see Jawbreaker. Cool. Yeah, I remember. I don't. Was it that night? That That's wrong. funny. Yeah, but that was that night. Uh, then we went to Dublin Castle. Yep. Then we went Another to Another classic Heart. one. Yeah. yeah. And then we went to the Old Blue Last, which is where we played our first show in London. Uh, then we went to, quote, another bar with Pims. That's just going to have to remain a mystery forever. And then we went to the Indian Restaurant. And then we went to The Bridge, which is one of my favorite bars I've ever been to in my entire life. James Hull took us there. Yeah, he did. And then we got an offy wine from, like, the corner <laughs> store. And then we ended it with a shot of Rumplemints at the Bird's Nest. So we went, went, went through the gamut that day. That was fun. And then fun. we took a break the next morning. It was not feeling good the next morning, but it was some of the most fun I've ever had. That's great. I went to work the next morning. The hangover cure. <laughs> had the hangover cure. I wish I'd listened to you at the hangover cure that morning. It's great, though. You know, all those pubs you said there in Camden, they've, they're all big. You know, they've all got so, such massive histories. I mean, sure, the world's yeah. end is above the, world, the underworld, which yeah. is, you know, that's where you know, every single touring band in the yeah, early 2000s. Yeah, played there 2000s. with Muncie Girls a long time ago. Great. Yeah. And it's amazing there, isn't it? Yeah, it was super cool. The backstage is painted all black. Yeah, it was painted all black. Slash wanted it that way. <laughs> no, seriously. We got to start putting more, uh, what would we call it, home improvement or structure. We need to put more structural changes into our rider. You know, we've green, that's not green the, wall, man. Yeah, you got a green wall. That's not the first place that we played where the back uh, stage or the green room had some kind of facet to it that was from a rider. There's so many that were like, "Yeah, we had to build this bathroom because so and so played a secret show here. They didn't use it, and they didn't come in the green room, but we built the bathroom." You know, like that kind of shit. Fucking assholes. <laughs> right? It's so funny. They probably what's don't even your, know. What's the most outlandish request the Menzingers have made? Uh, we used to put, well, it's not really outlandish. We used to have cigarettes on the rider, like cartons of cigarettes. Um, They're expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just like, that was unheard of for whatever reason. But, um, I don't, yeah. Cause they'll give you as much booze as you want. You know, it's not like an yeah. issue of kids getting it. Uh, I don't With know. Booze, it's kind made... of annoying. You get too much booze sometimes, right? Yes, that's correct. You can't fact, take it home if you're flying, of course. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I feel like everybody... Dave March in uh, Macclesfield has probably <laughs> eleven thousand half drank bottles of, of liquor in his in his basement that we've left in various vehicles. But most outlandish requests we've made, man, you know, it's kind of some old man shit. But we're trying to not play venues that don't have working bathrooms uh, in the backstage yeah. uh, because of like oh. just the complete chaos of logistics. That's some old man shit. Not really outlandish. I don't know. Yeah. I'll think of an outlandish one. Yeah, text uh, me. if I can think of it when the in the intro. But we've definitely had some like. I don't know. My favorite was what, somebody put Talking Parrot on their rider, Broadway Calls, and then a couple of venues would have one like drawn on the wall. You know, like someone would draw a parrot. That's I was pretty like, cool. Hello, Broadway Calls. And I thought that That's was really cool. Funny. Great, great. So uh, I wanted to wrap it up with you, man. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me. What have you got going on right now? What are you working on and what are you excited for? I mean, you've been this entire year doing the um, podcast world. It's a super fascinating place. It's growing a lot. And, you know, I'm really stoked about what you're doing. You've been really inspiring with the uh, creep shit that you've done and with 101. Mm-hmm. You're right. It is more fun to say than 101. It but, is, yeah, what do you got coming up? Uh, right now I'm editing audiobooks for this AI company, which like, I think you might find interesting. So That sounds you know, fucking awesome. <laughs> you know speech to text. So, yes. you know, uh, you know, you talk to your phone and you say, you say what you want to be in text and that's pretty standard these days, right? Sure. Imagine that the opposite way around where you write, you know, a text, a manuscript and you have the technology to make that sound like someone saying it, you know, with the phonetics, with the right tone, with the right rhythm, with the right length, all that kind of stuff. So there's a company called Deep Zen that, that do that. That's and not so an I'm ominous working... name for something like that or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm working as a freelance editor um, for them right now, which is, which is great. So, you know, I get the really manuscript cool. through and I'll, I'll change, you know, you edit the emotion in the, 
in the lines and the text, which is cool. Um, That's so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's mad because they have the patent of you know what it is, nice. and it's it's good. It's That's good. interesting. There's actually so the the program I'm going to use to edit this podcast episode that I've been using to edit um, podcasts and videos recently is called Descript. It's a company or a startup maybe based in San Francisco, go figure. And it also has a function, like a, like a beta feature of that that I haven't tried yet. So basically you read a script into the app, which is called the script, and it's about 10 or 15 minutes long. And then after that, you'll be able to type to speech or text to speech or whatever the correct terminology is, mm. parts of podcasts or an audiobook or whatever you're working on to fix things or change them. So, like, if I right. keep a log of my voice, you know, I say um a lot. If I want to erase the ums or fix some shit like that, apparently I'll be able to type it in. Smart. Um, which is pretty crazy because you figure if a company like the one you're working for has that and this one that I subscribe to for, like, $20 a month has it, uh, imagine what DARPA has and what that's going to do to, like, media and truth and reporting. And uh, you think your aunt's Facebook group is rough now. Just wait till they yeah. have a, a call of... You know, Obama saying that uh, uh, he's locking kids up in tunnels and shit, you know. That, those fake video thing, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, deep fake videos, but just the, the speech to text one. Like, imagine Terrifying. how easy it would be to scam somebody oh, if yeah. I cacked in your Alexa in your office that you're talking about how you have, and I have enough of you and Eva speaking, that yeah. I was able to call one of you as the other one and get you to go to an ATM and give me get money credit. or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, if it's not at a festival, I'm not interested. <laughs> Basically. don't worry Hell about me yeah. anyone don't worry about it yeah you need to keep your eye on festival organizers you need to keep your eye on giles <laughs> bad boy know. other than that though i am coming up to the 101st episode of oh the my podcast. wait what are you gonna do uh write a book oh my god that's amazing uh so i'm looking at it right now on indesign i learned indesign at university very um, cool is that a, that's an adobe suite app right exactly yeah yeah and he was doing these illustrations. She did one of Kevin Morby, um, which is absolutely amazing. And Very so cool. going to get a print. We're doing re some research on books, uh, yeah. printed, you know, getting books printed. Sure. Because I just know, I just, I know that I'm going to order something and it's just going to be kind of shit. So I'm just trying to be really careful about that. And I'm asking for samples, you know. I'm yeah, that's to, great. Trying to be smart about it. And so that's what we're, I'm working on right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, with Eva and that's, that's, cool to collaborate together because you know working with your partner is fucking awesome yeah, yeah it's great it's amazing it's so cool um my fiance beth ann is also a writer uh and uh, was a music journalist that's how we met she's she's working oh, cool. on her master's in writing now and just talks about the publishing industry a lot actually she just learned a bunch about it super it's really interesting but yeah man i am so excited that you are putting a book out i can't wait to have it on my shelf hell yeah i mean i've just written like the one on um uh, let me look at it uh thirst thurston moore due to being one of the most definitive rock bands in the world of sonic youth thurston moore hasn't had many part-time jobs in recent memory but he did have <laughs> these things to say so i want to i want to make it funny i want to make yeah, it dude. funny um that's something i in, in, internally struggle with i think a little bit i want to be you know i like i like having a laugh i like making other yeah. people laugh i like making myself laugh but, but tying that in with something that's kind of a the career thing you know i don't know i'm figuring I'm, I'm 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 in the process you know i'm in a process oh yeah i love it there's that old adage of like musicians wanting like thinking that they're funny and comedian <laughs> i think it was dave Chappelle or somebody talked about it musicians all think that they're funny and comedians all want to be musicians um <laughs> right yeah that, right. that struggle for humor is such a, a an interesting ride there's sometimes i know that like greg does it and i do it as well we're songwriters but you try to write jokes and then you write it down and then you like text it to everybody or you say it and it's just not funny at all. It's so Thank funny. You God, can be an absolute be wordsmith with yeah. like an amazing song. You know what I mean? You can really capture a real tiny moment. Yeah. <laughs> you try and write a joke, but yeah, I think, totally. yeah, I think you're funny. Yeah. Well, I did. And I, yeah, I think writing a joke is sometimes harder because to be able to have a wider appeal for humor is not, a, not as easy besides, you know, puns and dad jokes, which are the best. The written joke is hard. Yeah. Because on WhatsApp, you know, I, I do think the funniest things I'll say on WhatsApp are like the shortest things. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think you've got to keep it snappy. Oh, yeah, for sure. You can't be, you know, rolling into a, a, a joke that would take a setup and a knockdown. You can't have acts in your jokes. Uh, yeah. There's no one, yeah. two, and three. You've got to be able to, no. to deliver at once. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a dangerous game, you know, trying to be funny on WhatsApp because that's where I see myself in any group WhatsApp chat. <laughs> my role there is to take the piss and that be funny. <laughs> but, but then you try and say something serious and no one gets you. No one gets it. Write it off. I love that. Uh, but but yeah, yeah, man, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait. I'm going to throw up uh, some links in Hell the yeah. show description that'll show up for, for your shit. And I really Thanks, appreciate Tom. it. I can't wait. If, you, if I'll have you back again, I would love that so much. Please um, do. Please do. And hey, I got to yeah, say. I got you I'm, on record. That's great. I'm loving the Menzingers Patreon. Hey, thank um, you. Thank you so the, much. The, the Discord. Because... A lot of people are doing Patreon and then when it's a, you know, a band you really feel connected to and you love, there's a, I got so much satisfaction from signing up to it. And Amazing. That, you know, thank you for doing it. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's you can't do that half-heartedly. So props to you no, for, yeah. you know, Th- not doing it half-hearted. Half- Thanks, man. That was part of the reason why we didn't do it. Uh, we've been kicking it around for a while and it wasn't really that tested, but we really wanted to make sure that we didn't look at any of it as something that we didn't want to do. We wanted to be as passionate as we could for all the stuff. So it's, it's been yeah. a lot of fun. And I've That's already learned awesome. a bunch of shit from peop- just chatting with people in Discord. So it's it's been fucking fun. I was going to say the Discord server, like that's my new, you know, when we were younger, we used to use a forum called punktastic.com, which is where nice. I've met half the people in, you know, I know in London about music. Discord's my new punktastic forum now. Hell yeah, man. I'm I'm gonna subscribe to a couple ones that I do the Patreon for and a couple other ones and I really it's a great way to socially interact with people and learn things. It's cool. It's it's great. You can just you know, I love posting pictures about food and shit. You know, it's fun. Yeah, dude, it's a blast. But all right, man. Awesome. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Love Thank you, bro. you so much for inviting me on. Hell yeah. And there we have it, my friends. Huge thanks to Giles for coming on to the show. You can check out 101 Part-Time Jobs on any of the major podcast platforms. Whatever you use, I'm sure you can find it. You can also check out Modern Lovers on Soho Radio. He also helps produce The Hangover Show, which we got to talk about a bit, which I'm so excited to check out one of these days. Except it'll be in the middle of the night for me. Whatever. We'll we'll listen to a recording. Um, Yeah, thank you so much, Giles, and I cannot wait to see what you have in store for the future. Once again, the intro song is by Queen Jesus. You can check out Queen Jesus online. That is Pat Breyer's project. Uh, so glad that I, so honored that I get to use this song every time we do this. This was uh, produced by Beth Ann Downey. If you want to get at me, please send me an email, Tom at futurefriday.net. I would love to hear from you. And until then, so long. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.